If you have a Bible, I would really encourage you to open up to the Old Testament book of Judges. If you're new to the Bible, Judges, I think, is seven books into your Bible. Uh, If you need help finding a location in the Bible, there's a table of contents. And then when you get to the book, the big numbers are called chapters, little numbers called verses. We're going to be in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, middle of a, a sermon series in a book that I call The Wild, Wild West of the Old Testament. Uh, at some point, you just can't get surprised by the contents that are in this book. Um, but uh, just, a, just a quick word of a couple of things happening today and next week. So if you'd like to participate, I'd love to have you. Um, after the service today, we have uh, uh, three weeks. We're going to do an intergenerational Sunday school for young and old, spiritual fathers, mothers, and kids. And that will be in here starting at 11 o'clock. And I also want to encourage you next week to stay after the Sunday school hour uh, for a, a chili supper. Um, I really like soup. And uh, I'll play judge for all of your chilies. And, you, you know, I'll even give you a blue ribbon maybe. Um, you can keep that forever, put that on any resumes. Um, but uh, it'd be good just to come and eat together and fellowship together next week. Uh, let me pray uh, for our time in God's word together and just for our body as a whole. Lord, we come before you. We come before you, God, because you are God and there is no other. We come before you because you are the father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we ask and we seek and we knock and we ask that you would send good gifts. We send that you would send your Holy Spirit We ask, Lord, that your word would do the work that it can do to do some surgical work, repair what is broken. Lord, if there's things that we're believing falsely, help us to believe what is true. If there's ways in which our feet are quick to uh, sin and go in the wrong path, would you bring our feet uh, in the direction of faithfulness today? If our hearts are off, if uh, if we misunderstand the character of God, if we uh, are mistreating people made in your image, Lord, would you give us the gracious gift of repentance today? Thank you that we can meet. Thank you for the many servants giving their gifts today to, to build one another up. And we ask that you would bless those works. And now we ask that you'd bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a little boy was brought into the world. His dad never really married his mom. And by all accounts, dad spent his whole life focusing on the legitimate kids. And so this illegitimate child just grew up a misfit. Uh, Over time, he even had to be sent away. And something vicious began to grow in his soul against dad's legitimate sons. Now, maybe dad should have been more involved. Maybe mom did all that she could. But the day dad died, this son began to give full vent to his anger. Dormant evil became evil in action, and a murderous rampage followed. And so we come to a dark scene in the book of Judges. For in Judges 9, we're going to see the rise of Abimelech the son of Gideon's concubine, and he's a man on a vendetta. 
And I just want you to read the last two verses of chapter 9. So I'm jumping actually to 9, 56, 57. This is where the, this chapter is going. It says, Thus God, thus God, repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. So this is, is going to be a chapter about evil. A chapter about wickedness. About treachery. Um, it, it, what, what we're going to see, though, is it, it weaves a story of God's attitude and his actions against evil. It, it shows us that God sees evil. It shows us that God responds to evil. It shows us that God ensures an end to evil. Now, when I use the word evil, I think most every person at, like, naturally kind of says, oh, I know what evil is. I know what evil is. I mean, if you put the word evil besides any, any person, there's almost this, like, mind, like, whoa, that person's evil. Um, we know what it is. If you put it in front of a, a video game or a movie, you're like, well, this is going to be a dark movie. <laughs> but evil. And yet, you know, at some level, you know, maybe you go to college and you'll find people that'll start saying, well, you know, evil isn't evil. You know, evil is just the product of kind of evolutionary chance and social contract, social constructs. So what's evil now or this decade, maybe it won't be evil in 50 years. Uh, that evil is somehow moral sentiments that have developed over time, and your sentiments about morality can change. I would say in contrast to that, Christianity and you know, Judeo-Christian thought is going to say, no, morality is fixed. And the reason morality is fixed is because God's character is fixed. And what is right and true and good and beautiful flows out of God's character. A writer by the name of Francis Schaeffer in the 20th century had this uh, sentence about morality I think is helpful. He writes, The standards of morality are determined by what conforms to God's character, while the things which do not conform are immoral. All right, so God is going to give us a definition of morality. And you, you know, if you just pick up the Bible, you begin to see how the Bible weaves narratives showing what happens to evil. But then you also have chapters like Exodus 20, where there's the Ten Commandments that lay out things that are evil. Why is adultery evil? Because God is faithful. Why is it wrong to covet and sin? Because God is generous. And so now as we read Judges chapter 9, we're going to see that God is actively aware of what is evil, and he has a plan for it to collapse, or for evil to have a comeuppance. And so I want to walk through this story kind of under three headings, and we're going to begin with evil's conspiracy. All right, there is this conspiracy of evil in this chapter. Then we're going to look at evil's curse. Evil gets cursed in this chapter, and at the end we're going to see evil's collapse. So let's begin this story all the way now back in verse 1. Uh, the first word out of the shoot is Abimelech, right? So we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, teaching about in the book of Judges. The, the name Abimelech was given by his dad, Gideon, and Gideon had another name, Jerubal. He named his son Abimelech, and his name means, my daddy is king. 
My daddy's king. Well, let's see what happens. It says in verse 1 that Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, he went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you or just one man? And remember, I am your flesh and blood. And when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, well, he is related to us. And they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berit. And Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, he escaped by hiding. And then all the citizens of Shechem and Bethmel gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. So here's a conspiracy of evil going on. Right, so Abimelech, right, he's this illegitimate son. He's the son of a concubine. He's the son of this concubine from Shechem. We don't, know, we don't know much other than it's mentioned in the earlier chapter that is it a one-night stand? Is it he had this woman on the side? But this woman, outside, he has this son. He's kind of rejected. And the moment dad dies, Abimelech has a plan to get back. Maybe at his dad. Maybe there's like some, some real daddy issues. Maybe it's to get back at his brother's. And he goes to the Shechemites and he plays, and he prays on their own selfishness and their own sense of freedom. By the way, he's a conspiracy theorist. How do I know this? Because Gideon's other sons, they're not planning some sort of treacherous coup. They're not trying to rule over the Shechemites. He's creating fear. It's a fear that isn't there. All conspiracies of evil usually start with that. They play on our sense of what we should have for freedom and fun, and then he also preys on our fears. And he does both. He weaves them in. Let's kill them all. Let's kill them all and make me king. But notice he doesn't quite say it that way. He says, wouldn't it be better if we kill all those guys so only one rules you? (laughs) Who's the one? Me. One of the things that's always good to remember about evil, good to remember so that we don't do it, evil loves company. It doesn't seem so bad if everybody is doing it. And so he he creates this conspiracy, and out of the selfishness and pride and sense of freedom, the Shechemites are like, okay. And do you know what they do? They go to the, the place of false worship. They take these polluted ties to a false god, And they give him blood money to go hire a gang of thugs to then go back to Gideon's hometown and kill, that sounds like 68, 69 people on a single stone. I mean, this is bloody. I mean, this is a mess. This is, I mean, what a horrific thing this is. 
A couple weeks ago, maybe you remember, in Ophrah, there was actually a, a worship shrine set up. It's actually to the one true God. It is to the one true God, even though it's done in a false way. So it's even worse. Like, this is in, in front of a place where Yahweh is being worshipped. Let's kill all these people. And, and, the, and, the, and everybody participates. Everybody's in. You know, I, I think about the conspiracy of evil. I mean, I think about my own journey, the shame I carry that I introduced many of my peers in junior and high school to pornography because of my own sin. Well, let's get other people. I mean, if everybody's doing it, then it's not that bad. Just do some, just even Simone, kind of some soul work. Like, where are you played on or preyed on with what you, you sense, I should be able to do this? I should have freedom to do this. Or where someone preys on your fears. One of the things that I hear in Christianity a lot when they get fearful about maybe cultural people, we'll start playing by the world's rules and we'll say, well, they did it first. Well, if they're vicious and rude and mean, we'll be vicious, rude, and mean. And then we forget the stuff about turning the other cheek and forgiveness and kindness and love, right? Evil conspires to take our heart, take our, take our souls. Talks about in James 1, right? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Our, our desires begin to, to, to stir, turn and then, and then they're giving way to sin and then sin lends in death. It's what evil wants to do. Again, in, in, sometimes in our culture, we have a tough time with evil. And so, again, some places you're going to find, oh, evil, it's not evil. It's, you know, they're psychologically disturbed or they didn't have a really good education or there's something wrong biologically, which is why we've made heroes in our cultures, doctors and therapists and teachers. But Christianity is going to come in and say, we're, 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 our fundamental issue is a moral issue. Our deepest issues are not solved by education or psychology or by therapy. Our deepest issues are at the heart, morality. Do we love what is true? Do we marvel at what is truly beautiful? Or are we dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires? Abimelech is on the move. But God is watching. Right after the conspiracy of evil, a prophet arises and he puts a curse on evil. Evil is judged and found wanting. We pick back up in the text in verse 7. Right? When Jotham was told about this, the, one who was, the son who was in hiding, he escaped. He's told that all of his other brothers were killed on the single stone in the hometown. It says he climbs to the top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to them, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. Right, so, by the way, Mount Gerizim is an interesting place. Mount Gerizim was the mountain uh, when they were coming into the promised land. It was actually called, it was the mountain that the blessings of God's were promised. And so, this, is a, this prophet is uh, creative, and he's crafty, like all good of God's prophets. He's on the Mount of Blessing, and he says, Would you listen to me so that you would actually listen to God, right? God's going to listen to your heart as you listen to this little story. 
And then he tells this parable. He's trying to draw you in with a story. He says, one day, the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. Picture that. There's the trees, all the trees, all the different trees. We need a king, don't we? And they said to the olive tree, be our king. And the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? So the oils, the, the olive oil tree, it, it's busy. It has good things to do. We need oil, oil for our lamps, oil to dip our bread in. I don't want to be king. I have a job to do. Well, then, then the trees go to the fig tree. Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? I'm busy. I've got good work to do. I'm going to produce fruit. And it, well, then the trees, they say to the vine, probably the grapevine, come be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine? which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees. So a good vine, a, a good fig tree, a, a good olive tree, they all say no. <laughs> but finally all the trees said to the thorn bush, good old thorn bush king, come and be our king. And the thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade but if not then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of lebanon what a what a candidate for king if i if i don't get you with my thorns when you come under me for shade these thorn bush these bramble bushes they were very easy to catch on fire so if i don't get you with my thorns i'll get you with my flames remember what Back in verse 7. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. Hopefully, in their hearts, they're thinking, what kind of king have we just put over us? And then, Jotham has kind of a Socratic dialogue, or it's very Jesus-like. Starts asking questions. Let's, let's ask some probing questions about what just happened here, Shechem. He says, have you acted honorably? And in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of the Midian of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you? So, have you acted honorably in good faith toward Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy, and you may be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. And then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. So he tells this parable, and then he has these questions, and he basically says, hey, if you've done this in an honorable way, you will surely experience God's blessing. 
But if you were driven by selfishness and sin and treachery, then may God's judgment come on you, Shechem, through Abimelech. And may God's judgment come on Abimelech through Shechem. It's a curse. This is what happens to those who follow their evil desires. God sees. God judges. God finds wanting. And God will see its end. There's a way in which God puts a curse on all evil. In some ways, it's baked into his creation. That's why when you, like, you pick up the book of Proverbs, and, he, and there's all these warnings about folly and judgment, and says that there's a, there's a way that leads to blessing, and, and there's a way that leads to death. And you read the book of Proverbs, in many ways, that's baked into creation. In fact, if you turn uh, just briefly to, to Proverbs chapter 1, you have a, a similar sort of scenario described in, in, beginning in verse 10. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 10, it says, My son, so he's trying to instruct a son who's trying to lead them toward righteousness and obedience, right? My son, if sinful men entice you, and that's Abimelech, if sinful men entice you, if 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 you're enticed, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast your lot with us. We will share the loot. Verse 15, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their pass. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men, this is, this is key, this is baked into God's creation. These men lie in wait for their own blood. Those who think that they're on some treacherous power trip, they're lying in wait for their own demise. It's going to happen. They're only ambitioning themselves. Verse 19, such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives who get it. You know, and sometimes people are like, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, Galatians 6 says something very similar. Galatians 6, uh, verse 6 and 7. Uh, Excuse me, 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh. So this is an agricultural metaphor. If you put in the seed things to please the flesh, put that in the ground of your life, from the flesh it's going to reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is God's word. This is the Apostle Paul. And then some people will push back. Well, that's, that's Paul. Jesus doesn't talk like that. Matthew 11. Does Jesus talk like this? Does he give warning about evil? This is the lips of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 21. He's naming cities in first century Israel. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the heavens. No, we're going to go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Sometimes people will be like, the God of the Old Testament is so harsh, so full of wrath. I don't know if you caught this. Jesus is saying, I'm pronouncing a greater wrath than whatever happened in the Old Testament. Because you didn't respond to me, my life of love and sacrifice and power and glory. And sometimes we push against that. Even, even Christians or not Christians, I can't believe God would, would hold people accountable, send them to hell, send them to judgment. But have you ever gone to a vending machine and, and put your dollar in that machine and push those two buttons, E3, and nothing comes out? And you feel very justified because give it a little bump. Because that cost a dollar. And then you look around. Where is the owner of this vending machine? And then you look at the number on the side of the vending machine because you're going to call. They're going to give you your dollar back and the Snickers bar. Why? Because it's violated your sense of justice. Is not the God of heaven, does he have rights to get what is just? Right? When his eternal glory, the weight of his moral integrity has been sinned against? There's a, there's a curse on evil. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play out now in evil's collapse. I'm just going to read to you evil's collapse back in Judges chapter 9, verse 22. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Look at how God weaves judgment on both the Shechemites and on Abimelech. Verse 22. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, three years nothing happens. I bet both the Abimelech and the, and the Shechemites are like, we got away with it. That Jotham guy, crazy guy, standing up on the crag, telling some weird story about trees. He doesn't know anything. Three years. Nothing. But think about, too, think about the victims, the families, that for three years, there, there was no justice for their father. Three years of widows going, I thought God was going to do something. But verse 23 says, God stirred up animosity. Some translations, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. This is how amazingly sovereign God is over all things evil. He can send evil spirits. He can work on evil hearts to accomplish good ends. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by. And this was reported to Abimelech. 
Now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens, they put their confidence into him. And after they had gone out in the fields and gathered the grapes and trotted them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. And while they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Well, then Gaal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he just Jeroboam's son? And isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? Do you see that what he, the, the, he play, he's playing the same trick? Right? At the beginning, Abimelech says, hey, don't you want someone flesh and blood? Right? Mom is a Shechemite. Now this guy's playing the same trick. You want a Shechemite? Our dad. He's a true Shechemite. It's the same ploy. It's playing on the same sort of weird sense of loyalty. Verse 29, if only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. Well, when Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gaal, son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. And under cover, he sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Gaal, son of Ebed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come in and lie wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. And when Gaal and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and his, all his troops, they set out by night. And they took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gaal saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gaal spoke up again, Look, people are coming down from Central Hill, and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebul said to him, where is your big talk now? You who said, who is Abimelech? That we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. It says, so Gaal led out the citizens of Shechem, and they fought Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aramah, and Zebul drove Gaal and his clan out of Shechem. And the next day, the people of Shechem, they went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. And when he saw the people coming out of the city, he arose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. And then two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. And all that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. And then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. So Abimelech, this vengeful Man, remember the thorn bush who would attack with fire? Destroys them and adds insult to injury, throws salt. I, did, I, I killed you all. But it says, on hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elbereth. And when Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men, they went up to Mount Zalman. He took an axe and he cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with them, quick, do what you have seen me do. And all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. And they piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. What looked like metaphorical fire and judgment now becomes literal fire and judgment. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. But Abimelech gets a bit of a big head. Because now he goes to Thebes 
and he besieged it and captured it. Maybe they were in cahoots with Shechem. And inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city had fled. And they locked themselves in and they climbed up to the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower and set it on fire, a woman, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Can you imagine the husband of this woman when they're fleeing for their lives? And he's like, honey, why are you taking a millstone to the top of the tower? But she did. Honey, I got an idea. Verse 54. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him. And so his servant ran ran him through and he died. And when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. In many times, in many places, this is how God brings judgment on wicked people. He uses wicked people. The next time you're reading through the book of Revelation and you're getting nervous, when you come to chapter 17, you will realize that God will use wicked people to kill wicked people because God is sovereign over evil. Evil will always have a collapse to it. Now, here's some of the things that are so different and yet so beautiful, and yet so similar. When you think about Jesus, in contrast to this text. Remember what Abimelech's name means? My dad is king. Well, Jesus shows up and he says the same thing. My dad is king. And he's the prophet who preaches against evil. Better than Jotham ever could. He's the great prophet. He's prophet, he's priest, he's king. As priest. He's the one who provides atonement for the evil of God's people. As king, he's the one who has promised that he's going to return and he's going to judge all evil. Abimelech is, let's just be, let's be, let's be fair. We've all followed Abimelechs. Sometimes we've been Abimelech. And I want to say this to a couple of people in the room, that those who would know what it means to experience abuse. Because that's what he is more than anything. He's an abuser. And sometimes Satan will say, but you picked him. You chose him. Because they did. Shechem did. Here's the good news. Abimelech's get their due. Abimelech's get their due. And so those of you, I think, who, who have been under the hand of an Abimelech, I want you to know that Jesus is the true king who can say, my dad is king. And he can bring healing and hope. He can assure you that the Abimelech that's crushed you will be crushed. Judgment will fall. Look where, look at just a couple of verses that sometimes you might miss. If you just go to chapter 10, Abimelech is finally gone. And then it says, after the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pua, the son of Dodo, he rose to save Israel. 
He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years, and then he died and was buried in Shamir. And then he was followed by Jer of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. They controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havath Jer. When Jer died, he was buried in Cayman. Like you might read these judges like, we don't know much about them. We don't. This is what we do know. And I appreciate what this a scholar by the name of Ralph Davis had to say. He said this, Yahweh is the gracious God who never allows Abimelech to be the last word for his people. Yahweh is the gracious God who never allows Abimelech to be the last word of his people. The hero throughout the book of Judges is always God who saves his undeserving people. He crushes the Abimelechs. He raises the judges. And so those of you who know what it means to be under Abimelech, maybe you were hurt in a church, maybe you were hurt by a father, maybe you were hurt by an organization, the last word in your life is not Abimelech either. Your heavenly father can save you, redeem you, can guarantee that the person who has harmed you will be brought to judgment. And so trust the true King Jesus, who can say, my father is king. My father is good. Evil will be stopped. Those who trust in Jesus will know the grace and forgiveness in their own lives. And they'll also one day know the full righteousness of God and vindication of God when Christ returns. And we need both that. I need the forgiveness for the wickedness of my own heart. I also need to know that our God is just and will bring an end to evil. And Jesus does both. So trust in him. Trust him. Know that he's coming. One of the most powerful things in the last maybe four or five years outside the Bible that has struck me that Jesus is coming and he's going to make things right is Johnny Cash's song, When the Man Comes Around. So let me read you some Johnny Cash lyrics, and then I'll close in prayer. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who's to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying, some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Let me pray. Father, we want to ultimately praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. He is the king who will bring judgment on all evil, but he's also our savior who took evil on himself for his people. And so we want to come to Jesus, one, for, for personal forgiveness for where we have been, Amimelex. We also want to put our trust in the judge who will bring an end to all the Abimelex. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that evil will ultimately collapse. That one day every tear will be wiped away. And that goodness 
and the glory of God will go as far as the water to the edges of the sea. The glory of God's coming, and we long for that day. Give us patience and peace and joy. Let no one pray on our fears, but put our trust in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.